0: Good morning. A couple of things I wanted to pass along uh, that I thought uh, we should be aware of and, and, you know, could pray for. Uh, First of all, Pastor Ed is not with us this morning because Pastor Ed is over at Bridgeport Community Chapel. Um, You may or may not know that there's a church out there toward Fall City called Bridgeport Community Chapel where his brother, Pastor Ed's brother, Ron, has been pastor for almost 39 years And today is his last Sunday. So um, he is, uh, Pastor Ed's out there to to be part of that celebration. And uh, just thought it was a good opportunity for you to be aware, um, to pray for Pastor Ron and his wife, Mary Jo, and for that church as they go through this important transition uh, of asking God to show them what the future has in store for them. And, And for Pastor Ron and Mary Jo in this transition as well. Big changes, so... Uh, thought you would be interested in knowing that. And you know, when I talk about Pastor Ron's 39 years there, it reminds me that I often like to highlight uh, and, and let you know uh, a little bit about our staff team and their longevity. And I, and I often highlight this when I can, and I'm pretty sure I'm behind. So I'm bad at myself, disorganized. Something caused me to get behind. So when I think of Pastor Ron over there in Bridgeport, I think of Pastor Ed this last July Pastor Ed completed 37 years serving here at Faith Church, which is awesome. We're super thankful to him, so when oh, you get a chance to be praying for him as well, or, or um, thank him for um, the way God continues to use him. And then, like I said, I, I got out of that habit, so I'm just gonna catch up right now. This past August marked three years for uh, Sarah Russell, who serves in our office. We really appreciate her uh, care for our church family and keeping us organized. Um, Debbie Davies, uh, this just last month, completed 16 years serving our church family, um, children, and families. Yep, so thankful for this uh, continuing ministry and faithfulness. And then tomorrow is Pastor Matt's uh, three years serving as our pastor of worship. So we're just thankful for the staff team that God has put together and, and uh, appreciate your continued prayers for each of them as, as they serve Jesus by serving you. Well, let's, as we get going here, I want to ask, uh, how are you, church family? How are you holding up? Um, life has, has, uh, has various things going on that might cause me to say, how are you holding up, right? Anyone, uh, would anybody be willing to acknowledge they're a little tired? One where physically, emotionally, mentally, worn down, weighted down by some of the waters we keep swimming through. Um, perhaps, you've, perhaps you've blown it recently and are hurting in that way, uh, hurting in, in other ways to the difficulties that life brings along. Uh, you know, I ask, how are you? How are you holding up? And, and, I, and I acknowledge that life is difficult. I mean, it's been part of my experience this last week and just different areas of life, the challenges, the things that God brings along that uh, get our attention and, and ask us to depend on him. But even more importantly than my experience this past week, as I've interacted with several of you, interacted with you via phone calls and, and, or text messages or meetings or happening across you, I've, I've had conversations and exchanges where I just, I know that there are, are those of you that are hurting as well with the difficulties of life uh, and the things that this past week has brought. And so... Um, It's okay. It's okay if we start there. And I think as we head into studying God's word, it's good to start there with acknowledging those things. Uh, We can acknowledge that life is hard. And then in the next breath, we can say that Jesus is life. That life is hard and Jesus is life. We know that Jesus said, we know that Jesus said, in this life you will have what? Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus said, and in today's passage that we're going to get to, Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. So that's where we're going to end up. But first, would you grab your Bible? And open to Matthew chapter 14. Before we get to that passage that I just quoted, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to go to three different places in Matthew, I believe. So open your Bible to Matthew 14. Keep your finger there. Keep the Bible open or, your, or your, the Bible app on your device ready to go so you can follow along in God's word. This is the kickoff Sunday. I'm excited about this for a new teaching series called The Heart of Christ. So today is, is, is number one of, of, of several here for the next couple months or so where we're going to ask God to teach us about the heart of Christ. We're going to look at a Bible passage or more, more than one passage every Sunday and we're going to see what the Bible has to say to us about the heart of Jesus. What, what is Je- who is Jesus at his core? What is he all about? And when he interacts with you and I, who are sinners and, and hurting and are suffering and, and the difficulties of life, who is Jesus at his core? How does he interact with us? What is his posture toward us? What do we need to know about the heart of Christ? That's what we're going to ask God to show us. So, Father in heaven, would you be glorified in us today? May Christ be magnified in me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And Father, would Christ be magnified in us, in each of us, in the Faith Church family, as we look to your word, as we look uh, to hear from you, as we open our hearts and minds to be changed by what you want to do in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first we're going to start at Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, and we're just going to do a couple of quick verses here, and then I'm going to have you turn, and we'll do a couple more quick verses. Matthew 14 verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, here's important context, heard what? Heard that John the Baptizer, his relative, had been killed." Verse 13 says, "Now when Jesus heard this, that's the context that he's hearing about the death of, of John the baptizer. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. We could, I think we could relate to that, couldn't we? Absorbing difficult news and seeking to take some time to himself. to, go to the. We, we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus take time to himself to be alone and to go to the, his Father in prayer. He withdrew by boat to a desolate place by himself... But then the crowds heard about where Jesus was. They followed him on foot from the towns. Now, I mean, be honest. Put yourself in his shoes. You absorb that news. You go off to spend some time alone and absorb this difficult news. And then the crowds that you've been teaching and preaching and they've been following you, the crowds find out where he went and they followed him on foot. I mean, Jesus is... We know Jesus is Jesus. But if I'm in those shoes, perhaps I'm irritated. Perhaps I'm not ready yet. Perhaps it's leave me alone. Verse 14 says that when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Compassion. Jesus is compassionate. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Flip backwards a few pages to chapter 9 verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. I love the sound of rustling pages. And if it's you swiping on your device, that's fine too. (laughs) Keeping our finger in God's text. Matthew 9, Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And he was healing every disease and sickness. And what did all that cause? All that caused a lot of commotion and attention and people to pay attention and people to follow him and want to listen to him and want to be healed by him. And so these crowds, this, this passage also speaks of crowds. The next, next sentence, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had What? Compassion on them. Jesus is compassionate because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I opened up this morning asking how you're holding up. I could have asked you if you're feeling harassed and helpless at times. Yes. This, this word compassion that comes up in both those passages, uh, when you do a little study about that word, the root of that word, it's very interesting. The word that, that is translated into both those passages as compassion has, has a sense of like the innards, your guts, the, the very guts, innards, gut-wrenching, uh, yeah, something inside. See what I'm saying? And it's, it's this gut, what's that? The bowels, it's what comes up naturally from Jesus, yeah. It's this gut-wrenching compassion, gut-wrenching compassion. And so, so, you know, don't just read through the passage and these crowds follow him and he has compassion. It sounds really nice. Oh, I'm sure Jesus was nice to him. He responds to the harassed and helpless with a gut-wrenching compassion, with a gut-wrenching yearning from his inside to care for them. That's who Jesus is. Get that picture. And then I and I I, I want to do this. It's tough to do this, but I want to compare that to what you or I would do naturally. And then I want to magnify Christ by considering how he would respond in these different situations. If we were to flip through the pages of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus' life in our Bible, and, and many of you are familiar with some of these and many of you are not, I encourage you to read the Gospels and get to know the life of Christ. But what does Jesus do? Well, let me back up. What do you and I do when we encounter people that are going against God, perhaps those that are despised by the world around them, when we encounter those kind of people, when we come up against someone, when we, when we interact with someone who's despised by the world, going against God, we know them to be going against the God, what, what is our response? What's maybe coming up from our gut? Where do we need God's help there? But what does Jesus do? Jesus hangs out and eats me at those people. What do we do when we come across someone with a contagious skin disease? Jesus reaches out and touches and heals. What do we do when we come across someone who's strong, scary, naked, and probably possessed by a demon? Jesus moves toward him to free him from torment. What would we do if we encountered someone who, who the cultural norms, who, who the rules of people around us, if we encountered someone who everything says we shouldn't speak to them? Jesus cares, talks, asks questions, listens, and then delivers the spectacular news of God's love. What would we do if we encounter a sinner, a rebellion, someone rebelling against God, that everyone around would want to condemn that person and send them packing. Jesus forgives. If, if you or I encounter sinners... Or those in, that are in pain or hurting or having difficulty or struggling or life's all stacked up against them. Sometimes, if we're honest, I think, or maybe I should just speak for myself, sometimes when we come across those kind of people, it can derail us. It might want to send us, we might want to walk the long way around, so to speak. Right? And not just so to speak in one of Jesus' stories, but there is a story for another time. But Jesus, instead of taking the long way around, Jesus moves toward. Heals, embraces, touches, forgives, brings life. So, what is that understanding? What is, what is seeing that about Jesus? What is remembering that about Jesus mean to us? It means that we need to be excited and thankful for the fact that God, or, or through Christ, does not hold us at arm's length like a stinky diaper. Right? When our our true self is known, when God examines our heart and knows our thoughts and our actions, that he does not look at us and hold us at arm's length like a stinky diaper. Rather, Jesus reaches to us that are in rebellion against God. For those that are in pain and suffering and hurting, Jesus comes near. That's, That's precisely who Jesus is, what his heart is, what he lives to do how he lives to interact. We need to know that. I think in our own mess, in our own difficulties, we need frequent reminders that Jesus, that's Jesus' posture toward us so that we can receive his care. And then as we receive his care and that kind of love changes us, may that love then overflow out of our lives and may we live out the ways of Jesus to those around us. Take a right in your Bible again a couple pages to Matthew chapter 11. Hang right, turn a couple pages, swipe a couple times over to Matthew chapter 11, and we'll go to verse 25. Matthew 11:25. 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. Hidden what things? The message of life in God's kingdom, the message of God's love, the message of new life that God is, is going to bring. I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This, this strikes us as odd, odd at first. Why would you just pray that these things be hidden? But, but he's saying, he's not saying hidden so that no one will ever discover it or no one will ever find life in God. He's saying, uh, hidden from the wise and understanding. The wise and understanding in the world's eyes. The, yet, they, they might be wise and understanding in the world's eyes, but yet stubborn and stuck in sin. And, and to them, this good news of the kingdom may be hidden at times. But he contrasts that with revealing God revealing himself, opening the kingdom. To the children, to little children, which is a picture for us of, of those who receive the kingdom life news, the good news of Jesus, with, with a childlike faith, with, with an open heart, with a desire to be changed. The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And and in contrast to something that we have to earn, in in contrast to the good news of God's salvation being something we have to strive for or earn or try hard or match up to, salvation is a free gift of God's grace. Salvation is, is God's gift to us, and we receive it by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the spectacular news That because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you and I can have new life. We can be connected back with God. We can receive God's free gift of salvation, not by what we do, but by what Jesus has already done. Let's keep reading. Verse 27. Matthew 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me, Jesus says, by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I mean, there's a lot to, uh, we could go over here, but, but really, one thing I want to say is that these are incredible claims. As Jesus is speaking and he's talking about his relationship as the Son of God with the Father in heaven, these are incredible claims. Jesus says things like, I and the Father are one. He is saying, I am the Son of God. Elsewhere in the scriptures, John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And it's it's that then that leads us to the next words of these in this passage. Verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. It was interesting to me, although I guess not surprising, that as I studied this passage this past week and I look on my bookshelf it's to numerous resources from, from biblical scholars, these commentaries that help uh, Bible teachers to study a passage and, and understand things better. And, and that of, always helps me then to ask God what he wants for me to have for us this morning. And, I, and that's the work that is done as before I bring to you. What was interesting to me about studying this passage this week, there is so much talk about the yoke, and what the yoke is, and what the yoke means, and what the yoke doesn't mean, and, it's, and that's good, and, and it's worth considering, and, and, and we will a little bit in a, in a few minutes. But it, was, but it was also striking to me that I came across very little about what we see from Jesus' own mouth in this passage about his own heart, the heart of Christ. So, so while there's much to be gained from understanding his talking about a yoke, these few Sundays in this series, we want to especially reflect on what Jesus says about his own heart. This is one of the only passages, one of the only first-person situations in the Bible where Jesus tells us about his heart. Who he is at the core, where he's coming from, what makes him tick, how he responds to us. It's one of the only places where we get first person language from Jesus himself about the heart of Christ. And so that's the emphasis for the series that we're calling The Heart of Christ. And when he does, if we listen to his words in this passage, when we want to know how Jesus describes his own heart, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. Is that how we would expect Jesus to describe himself? With all that we know about Jesus, the Son of God, his, the rescuing King, the, the bringer of salvation. I mean, you know, it, and yet, was that what we expected from him when he described his heart, that I am gentle and lowly? Now, I'm going I'm to take a little tangent here. And speaking of gentle, I, I need... I need some of you more experienced parents and grandparents to uh, help me out with something, and I need you to be gentle. Uh, Amy and I have four kids, and one of them turned 18 yesterday. (laughs) And she may technically be an adult, but I need to know, experienced parents and grandparents, she's still one of my children, right? (laughs) Be gentle. And, And while I know that parenting... Continues and changes and adapts and adjusts. I still get to be dead, right? Thanks for being gentle. Happy birthday, Caitlin. Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly. So let's take a look at those. There are three other places in the scriptures where the same word in the original language, when Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly, that word translated gentle in the original language is only used three other times in the New Testament, and here are the places, they'll be on the screen, Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, that's that same word. That is translated gentle of Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In Matthew 21, which is Matthew quoting of the prophecy of Zechariah, and we see this come to fruition in the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem before the last week of his life. Matthew 21 says, Jesus, your king, is coming to you, what? Humble and mounted on a donkey. There's that word humble is that same word. And then in 1 Peter 3, Peter has encouragement for wives, and he he urges wives to nurture the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a what? Gentle and quiet spirit. Those are three places where that same word that Jesus uses to describe himself are used. Meek, humble, gentle. Gentle. Now this, is, this could be a whole topic, Now this what I'm about to say for just a minute, it could be a whole topic on its own, it could be a whole, a whole series, on it, a s- series or sermon on its own. But I just want to stop for just a second and make sure, especially for you men perhaps, that when you heard the word meek, that your mind didn't immediately go to somehow Jesus being meek, mild, soft, weak, lame. Because we don't really, we're not familiar with the word meek as much, and whatever we do think of when we think of meek, we maybe are not sure we want to apply it to Jesus. So I just want to say, this is this um, this is not uh, meek. Does not have to mean um, weakness. Meek does not have to equal weakness. Biblical meekness is is not weakness, but rather exercising God's strength under control. This is still the son of God. This is still someone who is just against sin. This is still someone of, you know, it's still true of Jesus, all the things that you see of him in scripture. But he describes himself as gentle, meek, humble, gentle. And I want to make sure that we understand that this is demonstrating power without undue harshness. This is not lame, weak, Mild Jesus to get stepped on. This is demonstrating power without undue harshness. A pastor named Dane Ortland writes this, and it's on the screen, I believe Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. That's that's hopefully a little glimpse of what we want to see when Jesus describes himself as gentle. What about the word lowly? How would we define the term lowly? Lowly really is an overlapping term with, with gentle. There's a lot of similarities that the two terms that Jesus picked have some overlap. Uh, this word lowly is also translated humble in some places. But perhaps more the idea here of lowly is, is um, cast down, somehow cast down in circumstances or dispositions, socially lower or, or unimpressive in some way. I would say today, this is probably how Beaver fans think of duck football. Unimpressive. And I'm a duck fan, so that's an ouch. Maybe it's how duck fans think about duck football right now, lowly. But is it surprising? Is it surprising that, that this term is applied to Jesus? It, it seems like it would be, and yet, and yet maybe it's not. After all, what do we know about Jesus, the Son of God, with God from eternity, at the right hand of the Father, came to be with us? The humiliation of of the lowliness of taking on flesh and becoming a human man and humbling himself to be a man and humbling himself further than that but to death on a cross? Why? So that we could have life. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. Dane Ortland, same pastor, writes this. It's on the screen. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. That he's accessible. God himself come to be with us, among us, next to us. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. What is the heart of Christ? If we ask Jesus himself, if we want to know about the heart, if we want to know his core, if we want to know where he's coming from, if we want to know his default posture toward us, if we ask him himself, he says he is gentle and lowly. And and we're in a series about the heart of Christ because I believe that we will be greatly helped. I believe that each of us will be greatly blessed to spend some time pondering the heart of Jesus and seeking to know him more and asking ourselves if that's how we really see him and how we know we can approach him. So you'll notice I used a couple of quotes from Dane Ortland, and I want to explain one reason why, is on, uh, some of you know that earlier this year, January, February, um, God's grace and kindness to me through you, my church family, included the opportunity for me to have some time away, some respite leave of recovery and refreshment. And at that time, uh, and in the midst of all that was going on, uh, God's grace and kindness to me through you, church family, allowed me to have that break of respite leave. And as I left for that time, one of my good friends, a, a pastor buddy, Uh, told me about this book, Gentle and Lowly, by Dane Orland. And as I left for that respite time, he gave it to me, and I I used this just a few pages a day for the first, I don't know, two or three weeks of my respite leave, almost as part of my devotional time. I was reading the scriptures, and I was reading a few pages a day of Gentle and Lowly. And I've got to tell you what a huge blessing it was in my life to ponder the heart of Christ. And so, uh, so we're just going to acknowledge that our, our series that we started today and our upcoming weeks is certainly inspired somewhat by the book Gentle and Lowly. We, we're certainly going to gain some ideas and, and a basic framework of how we, what, what scripture passages we want to teach. But what I want you to hear more importantly is just like every Sunday in the history of Faith Church, we're going to gather together and we're going to study God's word together. Every Sunday morning, we're going to grab a scripture passage or two that give us a glimpse, that that help us to understand the heart of Christ. Our first priority will continue to, we're not teaching a book, we're teaching the book. Okay? And, And then, and then, I think this can be a supplemental, side, helpful, additional to the book resource. With me on that? Now, part two of my fun story. Well, it didn't sound like a fun story, my respite leave and needing to read Gentle and Lonely, but it was a fun story because God really used it in my life. The rest of the fun story is that then, a few weeks later, I randomly got an email. As a pastor, I sometimes get emails from publishers. The publisher uh, of, of this book, Crossway, sent us an email and said, Hey, by the way, if you have any interest, you can have a bunch of free copies of Gentle and Lonely. So I said, Sure. And a couple months later, we got four boxes in the office, four boxes of copies of Gentle and Lowly. So I'm going to keep them all to myself. (laughs) No, of course, I want to share them with my church family. So you all get free books. We're going to start with one per family, one per couple, but I have a feeling we'll, we'll in the next couple weeks, be able to give away more if we can. We just want to make sure we get them as wide as we can within our church family. Both you guys that are here in person and those of you joining us online, you'll have a chance to come pick one up as well. So we have free books for you. It's meant to be a supplemental resource. It's meant to be an addition to our study of God's Word on Sunday mornings. Um, In addition to that, uh, every Sunday or Monday, I'll post a blog post on our website. I just posted it this morning. It'll say, Gentle and Lowly Week 1, Week 2, Week 3, etc. And every week, I'm just gonna put on that blog post uh, some suggested reading, like which chapters you may wanna read if you are tracking along with us. Uh, There's gonna be some suggested questions on the blog post that you could use in your own personal study or in a group discussion. And then I'm going to try to list other resources on there, other things that you might uh, be interested in checking out that might help you uh, study this topic. Sound good? Okay. So Jesus says in our passage, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So for those of us, church family, for those of you who are weary, burdened, harassed and helpless, look at the words of Jesus, this tender invitation to friendship, to friendship with God and learning from Him. Come to me. The yoke of religion is burdensome. The yoke of, of religious rule keeping, the yoke, the yoke of thinking that you've got to be a certain way, do a certain thing, match up to a certain standard, perform, behave, that yoke is burdensome. But Jesus says, but we know we'll never match up. Our religious checklist will never be good enough to match up to the holiness of God. So Jesus' yoke, in comparison, Jesus' yoke is easy. That yoke of religious rule-keeping is burdensome, but Jesus' yoke is easy in comparison because salvation is a gift of God's grace through putting our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, notice he still gives us a yoke. There's, There's still... our life is not somehow now free of burden. I would love to tell you, follow Jesus and it's all good. But you know and I know that in Christ and following him we have new life now and new life eternal and yet life is not free of of burden. So there is still the yoke of of the difficulties of life, illness and trials and pain and challenges and and our own sin. But now the the yoke of Jesus is, is... Light by comparison, because we have him helping us carry it. And where is, he t- where is he leading us? When Jesus says, come, come to me, where is he leading? He says, into rest. Come with me and you will find rest. This is rest that is the peace of God when we receive salvation through Jesus, when we have peace with God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that is entering into rest because of our salvation. And Jesus also, as we, are, as we are yoked to him, as we are discipled by Jesus, as we become more and more like him, he also is leading us into rest that comes with our surrender to him, with our recognition that I can't do this on my own, I can't match up, I'm a mess. I rebel against God. Life is so painful and difficult and things feel against me. I come to the end of myself and I surrender. I put my faith in Jesus, not my faith in myself to earn salvation. I put my faith and trust in the Son of God who lived and died and was raised again to new life. And his new life shows me that I too can have life. Come to me. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. Come to me. So, church family, have you come to Jesus? Or will you come to Jesus for the first time or again and again and again? Father in heaven, thank you for being a God who loves. God, we thank you that you are not a God who is distant. But, but a God who comes near to us, who has come near to us through your Son, sent into the world to show us the way to you. Thank you, God, that you are a God who loves us and pursues us and doesn't leave us in our sin, but comes and rescues us out of sin and death through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the example we've gotten to study today about Jesus, that Jesus is not harsh or reactionary, but gentle and lowly, Father God, thank you for the cross where our sinful rebellion against you met up with your just wrath poured out against sin and where we were forgiven and rescued out of sin and death through Jesus' death on our behalf. And God, we're thankful for the new life that you gave Jesus in his resurrection God would you help each of us to set aside the burdensome yoke of religious rule keeping of trying to match up of thinking I need to perform would you help us to set aside the attitude that my salvation depends on what I do or who I appear to be and instead God would you show us how to come to Jesus to receive grace, forgiveness, and new life. Thank you for your work in us. Thank you for your word and a chance to study it. May our lives and our continued worship this morning be out of thankfulness for all you have done for us. We worship you, Jesus, and we give you our thanks. And we listen to your invitation to come.